Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by my two handsome debonair co-hosts Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. You can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com, facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. And on today's episode, we're going to be traveling back to 1997 so we can travel in the future to the 23rd century and uh, we review uh, The Fifth Element. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I, it was wrong to kiss you. You might remember me from the cab. Remember? Bada boom. Big bada boom. Boom. Boom, big bada boom in the cab here. Look, like they drive a cab. This is me, Corbin Dallas. Corbin, you understand? Here, you take it, go ahead. You can call me when you learn how to speak English. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, just kidding, kidding. <laughs> and you, uh, what is your name? You, Corbin. Good. That that whole thing's your name, huh? Do you have a, a shorter name? Not yeah, 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 The Fifth Element is a film that came out in 97, as I said. It's directed by Luc Besson. Mm-hmm. Besson? Uh, star, it stars Bruce Willis. French producer, director, writer. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it does, it does it all. Um, he, uh, the movie stars uh, Bruce Willis, Gary Oldman, Mia Mila Jovovich. Is that how you pronounce her name? Uh, Mila Jovovich, I think that's yeah. right. Uh, yeah, Ian Holm is in this. Chris, Luke uh, Perry Tucker. is in this. Yeah, Chris Tucker. Very briefly. Uh, Chris Tucker is in Tricky. it. Tricky. Uh, the movie. You the movie. Tricky? No. Wait, wait, wait. Who the hell is Tricky? Who's Tricky? Oh. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm showing my age. It's, uh, he was a he was a, a trip hop, trip hop, I think is what you called it, artist in the 90s. It was like uh, Max and K with his, was his big hit album. Someone out there listening to this probably knows what I'm talking no, about. Huh. No, no one knows what you're talking about. Yeah. That's nope. Tricky. Yeah. <laughs> and the fifth okay. element is ripe for talking about because <laughs> Luke Besson uh, just had another big science fiction blockbustery special effects driven film hit theaters. Sixth element. It was called the Sixth Element. No, it was uh, Valerian, the City of a Thousand Planets. And I thought it was a good time to kind of revisit the Fifth Element, just so we can kind of see, I don't know, uh, kind of his uh, influence on sci-fi and whether or not this movie holds up. The thing is. Um, Fifth Element hit in 97 when I was 12 years old, and it was like peak. This is, this is like, I think this movie is like peak enjoyment for a 12-year-old. Mm. So I quite loved this movie uh, written growing up. Written by a 12-year-old. He <laughs> <It> was literally <laughs> written by a 12-year-old. It, almost. Uh, it probably was. No, no, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'll explain why. Uh, but uh, the, um, the thing about this movie is I find it to be, it's, a been, it's a very polarizing movie uh, in culture in the sense that 
I feel like people tend to either love it or hate it. Or um, a good example of this is I remember renting this movie, uh, or my parents rented this movie for a family movie night. Mm-hmm. My dad made it through the first scene with the uh, Egyptian scene sequence. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that scene was over, he's like, nope, I'm good. And he, <laughs> and he never finished it. And I remember finishing it. Then I woke up early the next morning to finish it so I could watch it before it got, had to get returned to Blockbuster or whatever. Uh. So <laughs> that proves the, um, just the pure uh, divisiveness of the film. Uh, it was, as such by critics, the movie, uh, when it came out, really split split the line with critics um, and it kind of was a it did middling box office numbers to begin with but eventually uh, ended up turning a profit especially internationally and in France I think it made a lot of money in France where Passant's from um, and then it has since gained a cult following with you know the the iconic costumes and looks look of the movie has kind of spread far and wide so I guess um, before I get into to more uh, details Mike I'm gonna start with you real quickly can you quickly try to recount the plot of the fifth <laughs> element, like give me, give me the the quick. You don't have to like go beat by beat, but like, what's the general premise of the fifth element? So basically, you are a character in the movie, and you have just taken a shit ton of acid. <laughs> essentially, this movie is your acid trip. So what you take out of it is just purely from your own psyche. Um, oh, it's a very different viewing for each each person who views it. Oh, great! Um, that didn't no, help no, at so, all. So I guess <laughs> I guess uh, in order to save mankind from a recurring future threat Bruce Willis has to escort a stranger through the streets of Manhattan to a faraway planet to an opera to get some magical rocks (laughs) with the aid of Chris Tucker and Ian Holm I wasn't with you at the uh, strolling through New York thing at first but but no that that, I mean that's it that's pretty that's pretty (laughs) on the mud that's like on the nose that's basically oh no he has to he has to visit a opera singer to rip out magical stones from her stomach Uh, plot twist magical rocks spoiler alert Uh, basically what Mike said is correct it's about this uh, evil presence that uh you know, attacks the universe every five thousand years. A fire planet. A fire planet, or just a just the the essence a star, of evil. A sun. Um, and the only way to destroy it is by constructing a super weapon composed comprised of four uh, the four basic elements: earth, wind, fire, and water, combined with a supreme being, aka the fifth element, to destroy it. The fifth uh, element is. Love. And the fifth element <laughs> is a hot chick. Um, so uh, that's the basic premise. Mike, where do you fall on the divisiveness of this movie? Are you on board for the fifth element train? Or are you uh, like my dad and you got up in the first 10 minutes like, nope, I'm good. So, uh, <laughs> I'll, two sides. I'll say this. I'll say this. It's fun. It's a fun movie. And if oh, you yeah. go into it, I think looking for anything else other than a good time, you could be disappointed. You could be. You could be. Um, I, I think I think he's doing some clever stuff. Um, overall, I, like I said at the beginning, it's kind of weird because it starts out like super serious, and you think it's going to be like this epic. It starts out very similar to um, The Exorcist, almost in some way, like going to these ancient Egyptian oh, oh, ruins right. and decoding <laughs> things. And you're like, oh my god, it's going to be like. And I knew nothing about this. Oh, you've um, never seen this movie? No, of course not. <laughs> I've never seen. <laughs> I guess no, that fits I've, the thesis of the podcast. But continue. The only thing about this movie that I knew for sure was Chris Tucker painting autographs with a paintbrush, because you showed that to me once. And uh, Mila, Mila Jovovich, Jovovich with her like, orange suspenders. Oh, the orange suspenders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lilu Dallas about it. multipass. That's about it, yeah. No, I, th- I think it's fun. I think it does. What, what's interesting about it is it's so absurd, but I think it gets away with it by making itself into a comedy. I think if this is a much more serious movie, I think it would be weird. 
I don't know if it would actually work. Um, I think the absurdity is like half of it, you know. Um, and I gotta say again, freaking Bruce Willis, man! Like he, I, he should feel so out of place in this movie. Like I, I feel like he would be there just rolling his eyes. Like you want me to do what? But like he's committed to it. Like he's actually he cares about his movies. Like he's he's a lot better. Than, every every podcast that has him in it, we've done a billion of them at this point. I'm always like, God, Bruce Willis is good. He's not just some dumb guy. I keep thinking he is. <laughs> Boy, yeah, I guess you haven't seen Bruce Willis in enough good movies. He's made a lot of movies, and he's become kind of a lazy actor in the past decade, I would say. Uh, yeah, possibly. But, but I, I just think, still, you know, growing up, he was always shit. like, I, I, Die Hard is like what I picture him, you know. But even in Die Hard, he's fantastic. So it's yeah. just, I picture him as dumb action movie. And then I get in, I'm like, no, he's actually, like, doing his job. Like, he cares. Like, just like, what's his name? Uh, Harrison Ford in the first Star Wars movie. Like, he should have been like, what is this nerd fest? What am I doing? This is ridiculous. Light swords? What is this? So I feel like, but he, both of them, I think that's a sign of a good actor when you can commit to something that's completely insane. Because imagine being on the set and reading that script and being like, what? This guy has a giant paper TV on his head. Like, what am I doing? Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, all right. All right. At least you're kind of on board the train. I I thought I was going to have to really fight hard for this movie. No, I like it. It's good. You already know you're feeling this one. Uh, but what do you what do you think, Dave? Absurdist. <laughs> are you uh, are you a Fifth Element fan? Nah, I'm gonna say no. Okay. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna be the kind of course no. <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna try to make the podcast interesting. Is it because here. the movie's fun? Is that why, Dave? And you no. hate fun? Dave, that, we know no. Dave does not like fun. Hates fun. I, things. I was trying. You know, here's the thing. I really <laughs> liked this movie when it came out. I saw it in. Theaters. Oh, you did. Okay. I saw it in theaters huh. when it came out, and I probably have seen it a few times since. I, I don't remember when. It's been a long time. I've definitely seen clips of it. Um, I can tell you what what sold me on the movie when I first saw the trailer was that shot of New York with all the floating taxis and the cabs and, For and sure, whatnot. Yeah. And you know, watching some of the making of features this week, I saw that those images were inspired by uh, comics. Comics that this was apparently heavily influenced by, which I didn't realize. Uh, Mobius and um, someone oh, else. Oh yeah, and, I can uh, see that. Yep. So. Uh, I can understand like the visual aspects of this film still hold up a lot like just the the general creativity and even some of the humor that Luc Besson injects in a lot of his movies comes off as it's hit or miss for me so you know I think what what you have at its core is kind of a a silly story which I guess you could call fun if you if you really get into the story you know no fun you know Dave but uh, the surface element, but but all the visual gloss of it, all the special effects, really felt new and fresh and amazing in 1997, and that hasn't necessarily, for me, aged as well. So, it, um, and same with the humor. Like a lot of the stuff that I, th- I thought was fun and funny 20 years ago, I just it, I, I found distracting. Like, like it, what specifically? Like, well, Chris Tucker to begin with. I mean, Chris I like, Tucker I, I, does I, need I, to take I, it down a notch just a little bit. I, mean, I think I, he's I, great. I like Chris Tucker. I loved him in Friday. I still appreciate him as a performer. I like him in Jackie Brown. I like, and he was he. Be, this was before he became kind of a star with Rush Hour. I liked him in Rush Hour. I didn't love those movies, but I liked him and Jackie Chan together. So I, you know, so I, in general, I like Chris Tucker. But he, it was like. Someone had like let him snort cocaine and just do whatever the hell he wanted or something. Or Luke Besson says, "I want your performance to be big," and then he was like, "Here's my performance." He's like, no, "I'll no, show you no, big." I mean, even bigger. And then he said, "No, no, not big enough. Even bigger. I want you to yell. I want you to be gay. I want you to be flamboyant." Not gay. Not gay. Want, he's but not. I know he's not. I know he's. But he's clearly playing gay. He's not. He's no, he's not. He's, he's playing. He, well, here's what's interesting about he's playing. A he's playing Prince. He's Prince in and up. 
He's printing it okay. up. And, and, well, Prince was originally supposed to be this role, which I find very interesting. And is, oh. It's very well, evident. Let me, let me just wrap it up. So overall, <laughs> I, I, I found this to be just mildly, for me, just mildly entertaining. Maybe it was just my mood. Who knows? You can, I watch this another time. I, it, it's, it's impossible not to appreciate a lot about this film. I mean, it's, 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 it's pure imagination. There's a, there's a lot of great stuff in here. But th- the story is just, it's just silly in a way that I couldn't get on board with. Okay, well that's interesting because the movie is a silly movie, but it's weird because it's silly but also dark and kind of menacing at times, and at mm-hmm. other times it's very earnest and sappy. Like it is a, it's a mess. Like it's a mess of tones. Maybe that's uh, why. And it, and I understand. I think that's what makes it so divisive, or why people don't like it, is because it, it doesn't. I don't think it ever really settles into yeah, uh, a yeah. tonal consistency that kind of like you understand the movie that you're in. That being said, I find this movie ridiculously entertaining. I think that Bruce I think that Bruce Willis is great in it. He's basically playing John McClane. Like he's John McClane in this movie. <laughs> right. And, yeah, he's, and he's really good at he's good at being the blue collar hero. Mm-hmm. Like the, he's just great at it. He kills it. I think that Mia Jovovich is very good as well. I yeah, think that she's, she's um, and you know, <laughs> this is why I think the Razzies are complete crap. She was nominated for Razzie for worst actress, which oh, I yeah. think is nothing could be Razzies. further from the truth because it is. It's hard to do what she's doing, and I think she's charming and cute, and I think she's got great lines. Um, so I like that. Um, as Dave said, I like the visual imagination of it. I think there's just so many iconic looking things, and it's not just the special effects, which I think moderately hold up well. I mean, production design is kind of the star of the movie. Oh, right? it's insane! Like just the, the way that the cabs have like an old-fashioned 1920s feel, but are also floating, and then just everyone's outfit is insane in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like everything from Ruby Rod's jumpsuits to Bruce Willis is wearing an orange backless. It's like a backless halter top the entire movie. <laughs> and, he, and he makes it like he pulls it out. Like everyone's got androgynous clothing well, on. Eventually he gets into a James Bond tux, you know. <laughs> well, even when he's going to the airport, he wears, he's wearing like a black, he's wearing like black shoulder pads over his orange halter top. It's just so bizarre. And it yeah. all kind of, um, it all kind of works. But the thing that really struck me this time around, the thing that I didn't really pick up at when I was 12 and I just thought it was cool to see flying cars and spaceships and all that kind of stuff, it's it, it's it's the kind of the movie's subtle social commentary, but not in like a preachy way. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> I wouldn't classify this as a dystopic science fiction vision. But and when, you, when you think of dystopia, you think of like The Road or Children of Men, where everything's like gritty and like zombie apocalypse style and the world's gone to shit. Here, the world has gone to shit, but in a way that feels very believable in the way our current society is. Like, you know, our, our narcissistic, obsessed society in the sense that, yeah, everyone still kind of lives a normal life, but you can't go on the ground of New York City anymore because it's covered in a, pollute, a pollution well, it fog. It feels like a brighter Blade Runner. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a yeah, brighter yeah. color, which makes sense because that's what we would do. We would just keep building colorful crap on top of our other junk. And, you know, like even the stewardesses on the airplane are hyperly sexed up. Like their, their little outfits that they're wearing uh, are kind of like a reflection of like a set. It's almost like idiocracy combined with Blade Runner. Mm. And that's the fifth element aesthetic. And <laughs> I think that it's really interesting. And I, I, I kind of, the thing that's so amazing about all that 
is that it's not like there's ever a moment where they're like, and after the great, you know, fog disaster of, you know, <laughs> 2086, <laughs> or after the great pollution or blah, 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 or after the great purge that we had this, blah, blah, blah. It's just kind of all that story, all the, that, that it's incredible, just, it's, in it's, just, it's just there. And mm-hmm. it's just like, there's so much detail. Like Corbin, great example of this is Corbin Dallas's, Bruce Willis's character's apartment is mm-hmm. it's a it's a tiny box that he you know and the bed substitutes as the shower like it's all like oh no sorry the shower and the refrigerator are taking up the same space and they <laughs> they switch places with one another and it's just it's so fitting of like oh that's what a hellish future looks like because there's no space for anybody so anyone everyone has to live in these tiny little yeah. boxes it's already like that over is it yeah uh, i was gonna say china New York. i think or japan they yeah. have those like little cubicle you can well, like even your apartment san, is literally just like a bed or a even in parts of it. chinatown and san francisco there's that kind of idea but i just think that 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 says a lot about what the, you know it's an over like, he says like what does the uh, the president says like me and some of my 121 billion constituents like he like just offhandedly mentions how populated the world is and like just all that kind of stuff it's it's not like preaching about oh if you keep on you know watching tv you're going to turn into this kind of crap i just think it's really <laughs> inter- it, i think it's a very interesting social commentary without being like without being really heavy-handed like a uh, um uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Like, there was a movie called Blindness that came out. Uh, do you remember that movie, Dave? Like, uh, it, I, I, remember, I remember the concept, but I, don't, I never saw it. That's that. a really heavy-handed, dystopic vision of the future. Like, it's very, like, preachy. And this movie isn't like that. So I'll, stop, I'll shut up now. But that's, that's my two cents on yeah. why I think the movie is successful in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's, I mean, I don't know what else. <laughs> I guess there's plenty else to say about this movie. But, I mean, it's really... I mean, you're either on its wavelength or you're not. I, I, feel, I feel like, and I can understand. You know, I, I remember. I don't remember what the critics were saying in '97. And looking back, I guess. Well, I can they, read you some quotes. Do you want me to? Read well, you I mean, I. Well, sure. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, I don't know. But he's too polite to say it. I mean, I remember. You know, there weren't that many. What, I don't remember there being Rotten Tomatoes in '97. There wasn't. Like, there wasn't. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I I depended on the criti- the critics that I I knew and liked like this movie well enough and I liked action movies and science fiction movies and you know in the 90s it was kind of um, we, we never knew that we were didn't necessarily know that we were going to see another Star Wars movie we thought this is like okay this is kind of the future of science fiction Independence Day and this movie we thought I thought this was just the way science fiction is going to be so you know I better get on board with it and you know I, you, there's a lot to appreciate about definitely the, the visuals didn't feel like something that was going to become a franchise and I guess I'm glad it didn't. I mean, it wasn't mm. like hugely successful. You know, it was successful enough successful that it didn't enough. lose money, but it was never. Uh, it was never. A I, I don't see where you really go with this. As a, if there were sequels, I, I just don't. I don't know. I mean, they, they figured out what to do with the, something to do with the Matrix. I mean, of course, those sequels were awful. Well, I know, but I very, very rarely. The point I'm making is, I don't know how you can do it successfully in a way that's like really. Like what? What happens? You see Bruce Willis and and uh, you know uh, Mila move in together, and they start having like half supreme being kids. Like, like where? I don't know. Where does it go? They haven't. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. If, uh, I'll tell you what I would do as the uh, the writer re- responsible for writing the sixth element. They have a child, that, mm-hmm. AKA, and, he, and that a, is the sixth element, aka the sixth element. Mm-hmm. And what happens is. Um, that someone is after the child for their life power force to try to turn that person into a weapon to destroy things. Hmm. And they have to yeah. rescue their kid together uh, in a fun sci-fi romp adventure. I just did it. I just pitched it. But All anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> Let's no, make it. Let's make uh, it happen. Uh, according to Scott Rosenberg from Salon um, at the time, he wrote, 
the fifth element is appropriately enough boron. As you sit through the interminable two hours plus that constitute the fifth element, a colossally stupid, overbearingly pompous new movie by Luc Besson, you can expect to become acquainted, acquainted with boredom on the most elemental level. End quote. So that was what critics were saying when this movie came out. Well, that was one critic. Okay, I, I okay. do remember it was Siskel and Ebert, you know, two most famous film critics liked it. So, Yeah, um, I mean, they, like I said, it kind of split the line. I think Ebert... Um, Ebert said it's a jumble that includes greatness. Like Metropolis or Blade Runner, it offers such extraordinary visions that you put your criticisms on hold and are simply grateful to see them. And I think that if you look at what Ebert was saying, and the the whole point of this podcast is whether or not a movie holds up, a lot of the stuff this movie is doing technologically isn't as impressive anymore. So do you think some of that visual splendor, I guess, still holds up even, you know, 20 years later when we see such amazing things on... like? We see amazing action sequences on television now that right. rival anything that you'd see on, you know, 97 and TV, so, I mean, on, on screen. So do you think that the visual wonder is still there? I think so. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is just because um, clearly Luc Besson has, like, a, an eye for uh, things that look pretty, not just things that look futuristic and, um, you know, cool. I mean, he has a, an actual design aesthetic that he can rely on, I think, so... You know, like the color scheme of the movie, and um, like uh, the makeup of the aliens and the robots, and in the uh, the ships and the, the costumes. I mean, everything feels like it uh, belongs in that. You know, it feels like it belongs in that universe. That things don't really feel out of place. You can appreciate a lot of the obvious. Uh, you know, they obviously built sets. You know, <laughs> for for a lot of it. I mean, you can really tell the difference between, you know, when the cars are moving and the motion blur isn't that, you know, it, the cars don't look nearly as realistic as they would now, obviously, um, in this movie. And, the, and same with the ships and some of the, uh, you know, I'm not sure if maybe you guys have saw a few more details that looked a little dated, but, you know, the things that hold up well, just like in, you know, it, it's a little bit of a cliche to say this now, but the things, you know, practical effects. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the aliens that are at the beginning, uh, um, that land in, in the pyramids. I mean, those guys are, you know, they look, you know, it, they're interesting and fun to watch. Uh, a lot of the sets, um, you know, in New York and in space are a lot of fun to watch. Um, I don't know. What do you guys, <laughs> what do you guys, well, I was going to say that, um, it feels a little, it felt very, um, uh, 12 monkeys to me. Yeah, I was going to say like, the same like, thing. Very, or, yeah. very Gilliam-esque. Yeah, I was, well, was going to say very Gilliam, the especially the robots. Like, the way the robots are built, the way they move, the way they act. Like, that's very Terry Gilliam. I think spa- that has their to spaceship do with, was. I think that has to do with just, like, the, the humor and the pacing of scenes, I would well, say. Well, I would say even just the way that people are a lens, where <laughs> the, he'll, he'll shoot close-ups, but with wider lenses. So yeah. everyone's got weird, distorted faces in this mm-hmm. movie. Like, everyone, like apart from Bruce mm-hmm. Willis and Mia Jovovich, who are obviously good-looking people, Everyone else is real ugly. Like it's yeah. like like ugly and weird looking. Like just the do- you know the doctor that's like uh, that reconstructs Mia Jovovich in that machine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he's got like those Everyone's weird pock like, skin. They got like pock marks or lazy yeah. eyes yeah. or like droopy faces. It's like he's obsessed with like grotesque weirdness on people, and yeah. I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, even the aliens are grotesquely weird, and even Gary Oldman, who we haven't <laughs> talked about, is kind of grotesque in this movie. But that's yeah something he liked to do in the nineties was be kind of grotesque. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard to, like, you know, Gary Oldman's one of those actors where, you know, every movie he's just, like, he's the guy that's talking about White Boy Day in yeah. True Romance. Right. And then, like, um, um, 
you know, he's in this movie playing Zorb. And he, funny enough, Gary Oldman also hates this movie, and he claims he can't. Oh, bear, really? <laughs> he uh, he's been quoted as saying he can't bear to watch it, meaning he wasn't a fan of it either. So again, very divisive movie. Even people in it, you know, don't have like have hmm. this weird uh, relationship to him. Now let's talk about Zorb as a character. Zorg. Zorg. Sorry. Zorg. Um, uh, he's the villain. He, he's the villain. He represents. What what is his? I guess is he. So he's an arms dealer. He's an arms dealer. Yeah. No, but I guess my question is, he's trying to do this because he thinks he's going to get a ton of money. So the alien planet pretends to have a ton of money or yeah, something. I, I, again, yeah. So I guess he's the, not on Earth. He's somewhere else. <laughs> he's on a ship. He's on a ship somewhere. But that's again where it's like, if the stakes that it's setting up don't make any sense, like why why do we why do we why why does this planet want to work with Gary Oldman, arm dealer, and the arms dealer? Well, to make get any the sense. stones. To get the stones, but. What, what yeah, is the planet, what it's, is the planet like, going to do with those stones? Nothing. It just prevents the humans yes. from using them against him. Uh, yeah. But the, the, the thing the thing that doesn't make sense, though, is if he's able to make telephone calls, if the planet evil is able to make telephone calls and ostensibly pay Gary Oldman money, why doesn't why is he not able? Like, I don't understand how that stuff works. Yeah, and I think well, there's a lot of I, mythology in the movie. <laughs> just feels very uh, odd and un, un... Yeah, who is he? Who is he negotiating? Who is he like? Who's the planet's guy? Like, who's the guy behind the planet? Who's who's the intermediary? <laughs> who's the guy behind the guy behind the fire the guy. planet and Gary Oldman? That's like making them work, getting them to work together. Uh, well, who's who's the Scaramucci? <laughs> well, spoiler alert! Like, spoiler alert! Like for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, it's it's very much like that movie, right? Like, oh, right. Yeah, isn't yeah, it kind of yeah. isn't it kind of that same concept? Maybe, maybe or no? A planet? I don't. They, two, yeah. they they never have a guy. Yeah, I guess. But he just never has an avatar to act. You never see the physical avatar of the planet. I, I guess. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of like plot. Like, if you want to start picking up the part of the plot, it's a bit of a mess in the sense that like oh, there's sure. a lot there's a lot of things that happen in it that just don't make a lot of sense because the biggest thing being when Zorb, Zorg, Zorg, when Zorg, when Zorg, uh, like GIF, uh, when <laughs> when uh, Zorg flies to the uh, Flossed in Paradise and he um, picks up the case of stones. He doesn't notice it's empty until after he's already left. He would have checked. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. He could have, you know, he <laughs> yeah. was fighting for his life. He grabbed him and ran. Like, yeah, you, you think he would have checked, but you know. But that being yeah. said, I freaking love all the action sequence stuff on Flossed in Paradise. I love the idea of a pleasure cruise over a pleasure planet. Yeah. I love the uh, I love the way that Lilu's. I love the cross cutting in this movie when. Um, the action sequence is between the diva's big number is cross cut between Lilo's Lilo's fight scene. I think that's a great use of cross cutting. Yeah, I liked it twenty years ago, <laughs> and Damn. now and now well and now because you know fight choreography has advanced so much. I mean, even two years later with the Matrix, I mean that that action really still holds up. I mean, a lot of the uh, and I know Milo Jovovich eventually went on to be in uh, the not Underworld but the uh, Resident Evil movies, and so. She's obviously a very capable, you know, athlete and, and, and uh, you know, she's believable as someone who would fight. But they don't really get into the <laughs> – and I don't think every movie should, ha- should have to answer why. Like, why? Like, why Why is this perfect being uh, – I assume she was going to have to or, do some kind of combat. Like, she was going kick to the, kick the giant planet's ass with kung fu or something. But yeah, instead, why she just, she, like, barfs at it and it goes away. Why does she have those – those abilities, like I guess, just because she's so well, she, like um, she taught herself kung fu that she understands how to how she things did the, work. Did, she did, did they the, actually show her? Yeah, she on her, on her screen. 
they show her watching the kung fu and they show her doing like the Asian sound. She basically oh. speed learns kung fu on her screen. Yeah, you know how she's yeah, using the alphabet and then she gets to war and tears up when she's. I know kung fu. Right at the end. Yeah. 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 She's kind of like the robot in short circuit. You know. Yeah, she's like I, 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 I need totally more, get, need more. No disassemble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I totally get that, and I think that's really cool that. It's like uh, I think that's kind of cool the way the movie doesn't hold your hand with that where they show her watching that screen they show her like like well, recognizing Dave needed them to hold Well, her I mean hand. Dave Dave doesn't like fun. Know. He was tuned out. He's I, sick. <laughs> Dave was just looking for things reasons to hate the movie. I told you I loved like like this movie a lot 20 years ago. So you're saying I just don't like fun anymore. Well, you, well yeah. I, I think that you, you <laughs> well, we, grew yeah, out of possible. Yeah. yeah, you grew out of fun. But I think that I think that basically what you're saying is the movie doesn't hold up, right? Like not not really. I mean, it's not the kind of movie it's not the kind of movie that I would say like wow, I, I can't believe how uh, amazing this movie is. I mean, people need to see this movie. I would say there's a, a bunch of other science fiction movies that you should probably see before The Fifth Element. Honestly, uh, it, I, it's I just, think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> I mean, if you know, maybe kids would like this movie, but I mean, I think they would. You know, I don't. It, uh, I'm not kids sure, are going to love her. I'm not. I'm not sure what a 20 year old Fifth Element is. Is I'm not sure who the audience for it. And it's not for me, I guess, anymore. Anymore. I mean, I'm. You know, it's. I've seen enough Bruce Willis movies by now. I. I. I know the ones that hold up for me. Um, and uh, for me, this isn't necessarily one of them. Although, you know, again, it's like I keep coming back to like. Well, I still appreciate the imagination in a lot of this. Uh, and, and it's. It's. You know, try trying to explain the plot kind of makes me giggle you know so i have to i have I to give it say that, that so. i could say the same thing about star wars though like no, i could star wars is so much simpler you know like star wars is not making a joke of itself right and uh, that works star wars has goofy moments it has, it has goofy moments but yes. overall like the it's it's not it's very different very it's, different tone it's a yeah it's i a, would say i would say the difference is that star wars is very earnest like star wars isn't um i think that there are moments of earnestness in the fifth element towards the end which is that feel pretty cheesy but I feel like there's like a, there's like a sarcasm to the fifth element that Star Wars does not have like there's something yeah, very like there's something very sarcastic uh, just even having definitely a, and you're, yeah you're right like just the way that you know you know the way that Corbin da- uh, Corbin Dallas is trying to quit smoking and there's like the little like smoking things like you can quit like the uh, Star Wars is also very clear about what the characters want and makes you know and makes you understand you know how they get from point A to point B. This movie is like, what does Bruce Willis really want? You know, like I, I, he he the likes the, he he likes the girl. He but, wants but, what everyone but that's, wants. But Dave. He, I, yeah, Love. I, I don't know. I didn't really. <laughs> I, I honestly, when he said to his mother that he didn't want like a bunch of women, he just wants one. I didn't really buy that. You know, I, at least not from Bruce Willis. And you know, I didn't buy that about the character. So so once for me, I didn't really. Maybe that's a problem for me. The, the big problem with the movie is that I, I like Bruce Willis. I like him as an actor. And I even liked his performance in this movie, but I wasn't on board with whatever it was he was trying to get. Like, I, I, and it, he was trying to do the right thing, but, I, but there was nothing. It didn't, he didn't feel like the kind of guy that would really do the right thing to me. Yeah. I don't know. I, no, I mean, that, that's probably true. I mean, they, they, they give hints of his past. You know, his wife left him because he was, you know, uh, his job, he was a military person. That's mm-hmm. why he's so good with all the other stuff. I think that, I think that the movie wants you to believe that Lilu is such a perfect being that, like, just looking at him makes Bruce Willis want to save humanity. Right, like I think that's what it's trying to say, and I agree with you. I don't think there's enough there there to make that 
really sell his motivation. But it's just so entertaining watching them go to one place and the imagination of all the different sequences, like the big set pieces of the movie. Um, I love... Again, the detail of this movie is insane. I love all the little cabin boy outfits that the uh, the people <laughs> on the ship wear. Like yeah. it's just it's just a brilliantly designed movie. Definitely. And uh, I I don't know. I find I find all that uh, I mean, really it, impressive. It's like the movie wears his heart on its sleeve for sure. I mean, it's it, that's why it, for me it's it's I can't I can't I wouldn't call this movie boring, and I wouldn't call it you know unimaginative. I mean, it's definitely you know a work of passion. It's just uh you know. Sometimes uh, when some, someone gets really passionate about all these ideas, they kind of, you know, it's kind of the kind of thing that happened with the Matrix sequels, not to bring those up again, but that's what I remember happening is it, is it just they had all these ideas that they wanted to kind of just barf out and, it, you know, it, nothing really came out in a coherent way. I mean, it, you know, it just was a bunch of jibber jabber and, and, and Quit your uh, jibber jabber. <laughs> I don't know why that's the word that came out. But you know, like it was like they got they became so up their own asses with the philosophy of the Matrix sequels that it's like it, they took all the fun out of it. And and uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess there was just for me there was just so many tones and so many different things happening in this movie that I thought I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to latch onto as far as like like an emotional hook. You know, like it, it's like they're they're serious and they're serious one moment and then something goofy's happening the next. You know. You know, give me give me some momentum with some of this, uh, some drama, a little bit of drama, to to really get me uh, hooked in the story, and that doesn't really happen. No, I think in that's, my opinion, I think that's a fair point, and I think that the um, I think that's why probably a lot of people don't get into this movie is they don't really emotionally invest with it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the movie's such eye candy for me, and I find the action sequences compelling and entertaining. That it's enough to kind of keep me hooked. I will say about Bruce Willis's character. Did you find it odd and a little bit creepy and, well, not creepy, I guess icky is the word I'm looking for, um, how he's kind of like the only masculine male in the entire movie? And every other man, every quote-unquote man is like a bumbling, like... Tiny Lister isn't... Tiny Lister being the exception. President of the universe. I do. Okay, first off, I love that they cast a wrestler as the president of the universe. And I also love that it's not a joke that he's the president. He's actually kind of good at his job. Like, he's intelligent and he, like, he's not a moron, which I think is, you know... uh, it could have been a joke. It was apart apart from Tiny Lister, even just the look of all them. From Ruby Rod being the most extreme example, but even Cornelius Ian Holm is kind of like bumbling and an idiot. And his his uh, partner, the uh, the guy who looks like Colin Hanks but isn't Colin Hanks, is like uh, he's also like a wussy. Like there's no like. Did you think that uh, no? There are there are other masculine characters, but no competent characters. Like everybody okay, else. That's is, a fair point. And to be honest, I mean, Bruce Willis isn't even really that competent either. Like he makes mistakes. So he he kisses her, and then he gets a gun to his head. And he's like, "Yeah, I shouldn't have done that." And that was. So I I don't know if anyone is really quote unquote perfect. I feel like everybody's got some issue. I think that he's the only like sir, like he's the only one who's good at what he's doing basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you got the, the the military general guy who picks Bruce Willis, and he's like, "I trust me, I know this guy." Yeah, he's but good, that guy's you know? an that guy's an idiot too. He's the one that like bangs on the glass, and Lilu like takes his multi pass and opens the thing. Like he's like, "You're gonna have to work on those communication skills." Like, he, yeah, yeah. He's a yeah. I mean, just the way he looks. He looks like a um, he looks like an idiot. Like I don't know how to explain it. Like they cast the guy. I'm he looks like uh, Gary Busey. I thought it was Gary Busey at first. Uh, kind of. He looks like a dumb Gary, like an even yeah, dumber yeah, yeah. Gary Busey. He's yeah. Definitely a hey, it's that guy. I'm just not sure what uh, who it is. 
I guess we could look it up here, but I guess we could. <laughs> I mean, don't know there was some database. Uh, uh, um, Brian James, is that right? Uh, yes, Brian James. That's the most generic name of all time. <laughs> but it's spelled B R I O N. Oh, so, Brian. Brian. Brian James. Brian, dude. <clears throat> um, oh, he was. You know what? He was in Blade Runner, appropriately enough. There you go. That's what he was. One of the uh, replicants in Blade Runner. That's, oh, that's oh, he's the guy in the beginning. Yes, the guy being interviewed at the beginning. Oh, dude. That's yeah. awesome. Well, he looks a lot dumber in uh, Blade Runner, actually. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. He's got that look to him. Um, I'm just looking him up now. Uh, my favorite scene, the one I quote I way too much that I like to admit, is the give me the cash scene. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of lines, like, give me the cash. Like, oh, I, the uh, nervous guy with the... With the, <laughs> with the <laughs> you like my hat? <laughs> Take it. I don't need it. Like it's just like that sequence is just yeah. a really funny like. Just and the, the way gun's the got like spikes all over it. I, honestly, yeah. I think the hat, the dude wearing the TV, the paper TV on his head is like I think my favorite part of the whole thing. I yeah. just I think that was so absurd. Yeah, it's a very very it's, nice. It's hat. weird that that worked. I mean, how did he hold his head still enough so that's that it looked like? That's what's so brilliant about it. He's just how long has he been camping out there? Like everything about that is just so good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I mean, a lot of that stuff I like. I think I like the stuff that takes place in New York actually better than the stuff that takes place later later in the movie, which typically I would like. It's almost like Wally, you know, where it's like it starts off on the planet, and you know everything. I have kind of actually have kind of mixed feelings about some at least Wally. I I love Wally, but it, people call it a masterpiece, and I maybe it is. But it, it, mm. doesn't this doesn't this feel similar? How it's like it starts off on this like bright polluted sunny planet, polluted, polluted Earth, right? Polluted Earth. And then it moves up, and the rest of the action takes place like in outer space on this giant like space barge. I <laughs> guess, but I mean, the, my issue with Wally is again, I think that's a very preachy movie. Like mm-hmm. it's like the, this is the message, and yeah. I don't feel like the Fifth Element really has that. Um, I also want to talk about this idea of again being not preachy. It's basically they live in an authoritarian state, you know, mm-hmm. and it's never really addressed but like everyone's apartment has hands that they need to put them I, like, I love that and I, yeah it was very very subtle like that's just part of the decor that's something that you have there in case you're in that situation no when inevitably you will be in a situation where you need to be arrested or investigated you just put your hands there that's what that's there for it's like where the, you put your keys when you come into the apartment and then the, all the policemen are you know all the policemen again are weird looking, but they're they all look like Judge Dredd. Like their outfits all have like a Judge Dredd. I am the law. Pretty oh, much, yeah. Um, yeah so or RoboCop. I, there's something about it that reminded me of RoboCop too. Yeah, there's something very like it's, which is fitting because um, that uh, what's his name? What's the director of RoboCop? Paul, Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. Uh, his uh, that's a very like social commentary satire type movie, mm-hmm. and I think that. Luke Besson is doing that, but in a way that never feels like it's hitting you over your, the head. So I, I don't know. I liked all that stuff about this movie as well. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the a lot of the goofiness of it is kind of pulling you out of. Uh, I guess you know. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't really doesn't really preach very much. Although you could argue that it's you know preaching for love. I suppose <laughs> you know every it's movie like, ever. It's like saying every blockbuster movie if, in the world preaches for it's, love. Though. It's all, all we all we need is love to you know shine a giant powerful beam up into a fire fiery planet before it hits earth i mean isn't that essentially what's happening at the end is they they, they figure out what the four elements are and the fifth element fifth element is love 
I never, I didn't get that. That was I didn't the get end. that either. Uh, I just thought mind, that's what she needed to did, do her job because she it, felt but so it crummy. But it didn't work until he like kissed her and like well, made her my, understand. My, my assumption is she's seen all the cruelness that you know yeah, violence yeah. that people humanity has done. So she's lost hope in humanity. Humanity doesn't deserve to be saved, and he's like, yep. it does deserve to be saved because I love you. And the the joy and she's of like, humanity. Okay. And she's like, oh, you're right. Uh, that that is a beautiful thing worth saving. This Why idea. Why could she have just Googled love instead of war? In the first well, because she well she didn't even Google war. It just came up. She was in W, I think. So she got the W. She had already passed love, I guess, in the dictionary or the, the encyclopedia. But isn't love a kind of isn't love a kind of thing that you can only conceptualize if you actually experience it, Dave? You can't read about love. You can read about war and think about how awful humanity is, but you can't read about love and really understand. You could it. argue that you really don't understand war until you've been to war. I would say you can. You can. Well, I mean, this is after it. she's been shot to shit by Zorg, and she's right. seen. She's you know she's seen how brutal people can be, like with her own eyes. Right. And then you know the first the, her first introduction with humanity is them trying to like can, like hold her in a cage and shoot at her as they're chasing her through New York City. So yeah. no, I understand. So, so I, I, I get. I, I mean, I I, can, I'm, I understand why she feels. Uh, like humanity doesn't deserve to be saved. I don't necessarily believe in the whole like uh, love story that saves the day at the end. <laughs> I mean, I I just never. I, I'm know. with Ivan on this one. That's totally how I read that. Is that she just got upset and was just like, "Ah, oh, world is full of garbage." And he's like, "Yeah, but I kind of want to have sex with you." And she's like, "You're right. Okay, <laughs> everything's fine." And she orgasms the planet to. Smithereens. <laughs> Which, by the way, can we talk about the fact that, like, I mean, that aim was just very, very lucky that, like, if the planet, if the fire planet went around the other way and she shot that beam out into space, like, I mean, we're, we'd all be dead. Yeah. No. You know? The realism isn't something this movie you know, isn't concerned with. <laughs> if a fire oh, no, plane... I think it was very realistic. I'm just saying it was very, very lucky, too. I mean, I'm just, very sigh cool. of relief. You know? <laughs> um. Would you guys think of Luke Perry at the beginning? I mean, Luke, you remember he gets he gets like a, he gets top billing in the movie, which I find very funny. It's what's well, because he was at this point he was kind of at the end of his like he was a big star for like three or four years I think from Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. So I remember seeing this movie in the theaters, and when he shows up, people were laughing because it, he just kind of felt that like we're seeing the science fiction movie and Luke Perry's in it, isn't he? I mean, he some some actors become so associated with. You know, especially when it comes to TV, people, I think, find it hard to believe actors outside of, of that, of those uh, uh, stories. When, when there's a role that goes on for so long that you become that role, and right. then it's hard to put them in anything else, yeah. So, you know, to me, it's, it, it struck me as like, oh, well, Luke Perry's a star. He's going to get some people in here. It's going to get me some money for this movie. So it, it, he felt like an investment more than like a, whatever. He's only in the first, like, ten minutes. It doesn't matter. Um yeah, I don't know. And I can't believe you guys don't know who Tricky is. I mean, someone out there is going to know who Tricky is. I just is. Googled him. He doesn't seem familiar to me. He's who the hell was he? Who, who was he? He was, uh, you know, he did like electronic. Uh, have you heard of DJ Shadow? Is that yeah. familiar? Nope. Know. Uh, the Chemical Brothers. Yeah, I, I guess right. they, weren't really, they weren't really trip hop, but I don't know. It was like, you know, like uh, whatever, electronic dance music that was like uh, kind of with deeper bass and. I don't know. You, it, I'm not good at describing <laughs> different types of music, but uh, he, he was u- a unique musician, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> I 
Um, I guess and cool. I kinda, final. Th- <laughs> I'm glad I got that out. I'm just glad you're really into <laughs> tricky, Dave. Uh, well, no, I it, yeah. I guess uh, to quote one of my favorite favorite film writers about this movie, he has a great piece. Uh, Vince Mancini at Film Drunk has a great piece on a retrospective of Fifth Element's 20th anniversary. But the, the thing that I really I think that kind of sums up my feelings about the movie is he writes, "The beauty of the Fifth Element is that it is simultaneously brilliant and really dumb." Like. It's mm. like this idea, it's like really goofy, but also like there's so many other brilliant elements to it. Yeah. And somehow it works. And, and it makes me want to see a movie like Valerian because if the same mind made this movie, there's got to be cool stuff in Valerian to like uh, I'm just sure. watch. I like, can't bring myself to actually. No, I'm going to, I'll probably not, I, I, you know, I, I just don't have time. Like I'm very selective of movies I see in the theater now, so yep. I'll probably catch that when it hits, you know, Blu-ray or whatever. But it's just, I have to see it because this is that same kind of guy and, I mean, what do you think about Luc Besson as a whole? Like, do you besides Leon the Professional, which I think everyone kind of loves, mm. do you like a lot of his other movies? Or yeah, I liked. I remember liking La Femme Nikita. Uh, I haven't seen that since you know probably 1990 when it came out. Um, and that was about a female assassin and who's like a, I think she's like a a drug addict or something who's captured by whatever French intelligence agency. She's trained to become an assassin. I remember, I remember that being fun. And then Leon, yeah, the professional uh, with uh, Natalie Portman and, and uh, Jean Reno. I mean, that was that was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, he's. I feel like Luc Besson is more famous as like a producer of a particular did he type do, of style like, now. Did he do like the take? He produced he's the more take like, movies. He's like the Steven Spielberg of France. You know, like he, he's constantly he has his fingers on a lot of different things like the Taken movies and the Transporter movies and oh, right, right. and a lot of like you know a lot of parkour type movies I remember you know I feel like you know if they're I don't know most of the movies that you probably have seen from France feel like they've had Luc Besson's you know uh, uh, finger uh, like uh, touch caress Um, caress love (laughs) one thing that I I didn't know about him was that cupping he's he was he was a little bit creepy when it came to to women. He had a 60, totally like yeah. the, the woman who plays the opera singer. I saw an interview with her uh, and some of the behind the scenes stuff, and she was Luke Besson's fiance when he was like thirty seven and she was like fifteen, and then sixteen when they got married or something. And then I think then I think he, he dumped divorced. her for he dumped her for Milo. Jovich yeah, he, on yeah, the, yeah, exactly. He casts women he wants to have sex with is what's creepy about it. Uh, uh, ew, ew. A, little, a little creepy to fall in love with a fifteen-year-old. I mean, it's, you know, it's, that's in my Mila is fifteen. No, no, no. The, the, the diva was. Yeah, and the diva is weird. I thought really? she was a much older woman. Yeah. Oh yeah. When she was acting in the movie, she was fifteen or sixteen years old. Just the makeup was that good that you wouldn't even know. Yeah, that is a little creepy. Um, yeah. yeah. And then I, I think he's bit. since divorced Mia Jovovich and he's married to somebody else now. Oh so. yeah. yeah. He, he moves through women. Um, yeah, I think we kind of did it. Uh, <laughs> I think that, I think that uh, Dave's criticisms are valid. I think the movie does lack an emotional hook. I think it lacks the thing. I think it, it, it's, it's just weird enough that if you show this to your average, it's a hard movie to just blindly recommend to somebody. And that's evidenced by my dad like walking, like being like, I can't watch this. It's like, you can't just be like, you know how there's certain movies you just know that it's a, like a safe recommend? Yeah. You can't do that with The Fifth Element. But if you're the right kind of person, I think the movie still really works and it's such a visual, um, uh, a splendid visual treat that it 
still very entertaining. For well, when I think which is which is why that's why I'm saying like it's fun and and you have to think of it that way because it's not it, it doesn't go past that where you look at a movie like Star Wars which is science fiction right you they're both in the same genre but Star Wars has a lot more depth to it and you leave, you can leave a theater and think about that for days to come think about certain elements of it or certain like oh that was a really awesome scene where there's actual gravity to it whereas this is that was fun. Throw my popcorn out, go home, and probably not think of it again for a little while. Like it's something like that. It's it's it's, it's spectacle. It's fun. I think it, it's saying some interesting things, but I think there's other movies that say it better than it does. Um, Seems like it's but, a movie that's more fun to make than to watch, in my opinion. <laughs> no, I think it's fun to watch too. I think it's. I mean, some well, of the, some of the stuff is really good, make. but like, if you think of it more as a comedy than as a sci-fi, I think it, it, it it's a lot better. I think it goes a lot. It's a lot a better of a movie. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I everyone talks about some of the dialogue being really bad but I find it really funny like the line where you like I think the line the quips that Bruce Willis has are funny like I don't know why maybe it's just Bruce Willis is so good at selling them like lady I only speak two Englishes good English and bad English <laughs> like that's not a good line of dialogue but Bruce Willis is so charming and he's so he's so good at quipping like he's such a mm-hmm. good action quipper that it just somehow works um, oh yeah, I'm looking at the cast right now, Dave. Your buddy Tricky is listed as right arm as the character. Uh, right arm, yeah. okay. Yeah. Right arm. Uh, no. There you go. Um, yeah, I think that's about it, uh, uh, Mike. What are we going to be doing on the uh, next uh, podcast? So, a buddy of mine, uh, Stephen Dautner, had recommended we look at uh, um, my neighbor Totoro, which is our second anime. Right? We've only done. We only did uh, Ghost in the Shell. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this will be our second, um, and it's a Miyazaki film, one of his, arguably his great, when you think about it. I think it, or this is probably Spirited Away, right? Uh, yeah, he's, he's made a lot of movies that Princess people Mononoke. Oh, Princess Mononoke, yeah, that's right. true. Well, yeah, but still, I think this is like, I feel like the most, maybe the most well-known, maybe the one that with the, the biggest fan base. I just, I see Totoro everywhere. Um, so I think it would be good to take a look, see so he had some opinions on it, I wanted to kind of take a look at it and see if we, we felt the same way, so... Cool. Let's do that. We're going to be doing some uh, Neighbor Totoro. There you go. Um, Dave, where can people find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter, Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ivan Kander, um, and I write and write it for a website called ShortOfTheWeek.com. Mike, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I rarely ever tweet. A better bet would be Instagram. It's where I post most of my animation stuff. Um, that's just at Mike Morandi on both, and that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. And if you want to like us on iTunes or give us reviews or whatever, or how that works, that'd be super great. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash reviewed podcast. And you can find us at reviewed podcast. So uh, <laughs> that's all that kind of stuff. Uh, thanks so much uh, for listening, everyone. Um, I'm trying to think of a good way to take us out of this. Uh, <laughs> I got your, you got your snakes. You got the snakes. Yeah. Yeah. You got Sna- the snakes. What? Snakes. Yeah. When he's with Luke Perry and the Aziz oh. light. Oh, oh, thank you. Aziz lights. <laughs> and he has like a tally going I mean, of how many Aziz lights. The have headlights and they turn them on and it's funny. Oh, it's so good. Right. Oh, Dave. I wish you could have fun in life. Yeah, one day you're going to learn to have fun, Dave. One it's of those days, Dave, like Dave's going to actually have fun at something and it's going to just change everything. And he's going to be gonna like, like, my God, my whole life was wasted. He's going to wear a lot of Hawaiian shirts all of a sudden. Like, he's going to be like, this is fun, he's gonna, like, He's going to force fun. He's going to show up and he's going to be like the fun guy. And we're like, Dave, it's, it's cool, man. It's all right, buddy. We spent all of our fun in our youth, but we're good. Gonna turn into a mushroom? Yes. Sounds good. All right, guys. All right. See, I can have fun. I can make jokes about mushrooms.
sends you like he sends you 3D tentacle porn. You're like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, he just 